the story so far from Luke chapter 2. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Lord, let us now thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Imagine, if you will, two people on their bicycles at the top of a gravel slope in the New Forest, waiting to thrust themselves down that hill. Those two people are me and Ian Digge. You may not know Ian Digge, suffice to say that he, like I, is a man of a certain age and of a traditional and comfortable build. <laughs> and as we looked down that gravel slippery slope, I thought to myself, Keith, it is inevitable that you will grow old, but it is entirely optional that you grow up. And Simeon and Anna had grown old in the Lord, but they had never lost their faith. They had never moved away from being prayer warriors. And it is their nature as prayer warriors that I want to talk to you this morning. Simeon was yearning waiting, yearning, and focused to see the consolation of Israel. That's an interesting word, consolation. Do you know where it comes from? I didn't until I prepared this. Consolation. Paraklesos. Hang on. Paraklesos. That sounds familiar. Yes. The Holy Spirit, the comforter, is the paraclete. So Luke, and the more I read Luke in my old age, the more impressed I am with him as a writer. Luke here has put into this little history an enormous amount of interesting stuff that mostly in Christmas and Advent, we, we an epiphany, I think, we move forward without noticing. But Luke is saying, hang on, I know what John is saying about the paraclete. Let me just put that in here. So Simeon is waiting for the paraclete. Simeon is waiting for the comfort. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And he's focused on it, and he's staying in touch with God. And these two warriors, Simeon and Anna, who comes in just a bit later, were righteous people. And we know that the prayers of righteous people availeth much. And we just don't know, 2,000 years on, we don't know how much impact their prayers had on our whole story. But wouldn't it be great if we could say, do you know what, in 2,000 years' time, people will be talking about me and my relationship with God. I don't suppose they expected that. But they were focused on the coming Christ, and therefore so will we, because it's not Simeon and Anna who bring our salvation, but Christ. Let me note some of the points from this passage. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus and circumcised. 
When the time came for the purif purification according to the law of Moses to be completed, that's what they did. Jesus came not to do away with the law, Jesus came to fulfill the law. And Jesus fulfills the law. Doesn't destroy it. Sometimes we think in our modern carefree age that we are not under law, we're under grace, and it all doesn't matter. But God does not change. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. The fact that the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in our hearts is a matter of huge praise, but Christ came to fulfill the law, not destroy it, and that he has done. Malachi 3 verse 6, God does not change. So who is this Jesus? He is a fulfiller of the law. He is Emmanuel, Jesus with us. This is the New Testament. This is Jeremiah 31. This is, I will put a new covenant together and I will put myself in their hearts because I will take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. That's the celebration that we have. That's the consolation that Simeon was looking for. That is what we experience. Praise the Lord. Emmanuel, Jesus in us. Jesus with us. Jesus fully man and fully God. Speaking as a scientist, I don't have a problem with that because I know that if I look at an electron, sometimes it's a particle, sometimes it's a wave, both are true, neither are right. And if I think it's a series of particles acting in a wave, that's wrong because an electron is a wave and an electron is also a particle and I live with it as a scientist. Jesus is fully God and fully man, both are true. You look at uh, people like Stephen Fry and uh, Richard Dawkins, the huge mega-brains of our time who are secularists and atheists, and you think to yourself, do you know what? They try to shrink God to within the limit of their own understanding. And you can't. Emmanuel, Jesus is fully God, made a little lower than the angels just for a period, and fully man, and he is with us. It's the consolation of Israel. It's the coming alongside of us. And he is the firstborn. Now, if you're Dan Brown, you can make a small fortune out of speculating about the human family of Joseph and Mary. And it's great fun. Jesus we know, is definitely the firstborn of Mary and the firstborn of God. Whether he was also the firstborn of Joseph, I don't know. But Jesus is one of at least seven children in the family of Mary and Joseph. It was a big family. Do you remember the story of how when he's 12 and they go to the temple and they lose him on the way back? And I've always, how can you lose your child? And then my son David has four boys. And I begin to understand how if you've got a family of seven, you probably can lose them. <laughs> Tea at his house, we have to take a head count. Firstborn. As the firstborn, Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord. 
as the firstborn, he is being dedicated to the Lord's service. He fulfills the law. He is the beginning and the firstborn. We're doing a series on Colossians and 1 verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. But he is also a sign that will be spoken against. A sword will pierce his mother's heart. It's not all easy being a follower of Jesus. And if we think it will be, we have misunderstood the nature of our calling. So that's the person of Jesus that Simeon and Anna were so focused on. But now let's look at the work of Jesus. And all these key words that Luke has put into this short passage. Consolation, the end of Israel's captivity. This phrase, consolation, comfort, in the first instance, talks about Israel being brought out of exile and back into Jerusalem. It talks about the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. It talks about the major prophets saying, hang on, God has promised that after this exile, he will bring us back and reestablish us. And the comfort of Israel, Isaiah 40, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. We're talking here about the nation of Israel being brought back, being redeemed out of slavery uh, in exile and brought back to their own land of promise. That's the first idea. The second idea, and this is where Luke has been so clever to bring in consolation as paraklesos, the second idea is for you and me. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the coming alongside of God. God is true ho uh, holy man. He has holy W-H-O. He is entirely man. He, there is nothing about the human condition that Jesus does not know. Wherever we are, whatever we are feeling, Jesus has been alongside us and his Holy Spirit is within us, ministering to us, if only we would listen. So, consolation, not only for Israel, but also for us. And Jeremiah 31, I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. Jeremiah 31, the chapter where we learn of the new covenant that God is planning. And here, uh, Simeon says, now I have seen the Lord's salvation. So salvation, the work of Jesus, salvation. Romans 8 verses 1 to 4, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might fully be met in us. God has fulfilled the law, and we can be saved because His blood avails for us. Our salvation is given by this baby. They were looking for the consolation of Israel in a military sense. They were looking for the consolation of Israel in a political sense. They were looking for the consolation of Israel in an independent finance and economy sense. But the consolation of Israel comes in a personal sense. And our salvation is won, one by one, 
as we accept the gift, the free gift of the Lord Jesus, the work of Jesus' salvation, the work of Jesus' peace. He brings us peace. Romans 5 verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. It always worries me at Christmas when we talk about this being a time of peace and goodwill as though that political, military, economic peace is what we are talking about. It's not. We are talking about the peace that Jesus brings us through His work on the cross, our peace with God. And redemption, brought from slavery, slavery in our sense, not in exile, but slavery to sin. We have been redeemed from that slavery into new life in Christ. And Jesus brings us the comforter, John 14. It's better that I go. Really? Really? Jesus, we've just been through this roller coaster with you. We've spent three years being vilified on the road. Then we got strung out in the courts and you got crucified. And now you're back with us and now you say, it's better if I go? It's better if I go, because if I go, I will go to the Father, and He will send you the Comforter. Thanks be to God, as we believe, the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts. It's better if I go, and I will send another. So, Simeon and Anna, two great warriors, looking out at your sea of bright, expectant faces, I see that we're all of a certain age. Well, not quite a certain age. But let me assure you, in Christ, we are never off duty. In Christ, we are never allowed to put aside our role as prayer warriors. Simeon and Anna, moved by the Holy Spirit, availed much. And even when we can no longer ride our bikes, even when we don't get out much, even when we stop driving at night because we can't see as well as we used to, we will still pray and the Holy Spirit will guide us. There is, we didn't read it, but there's a little note about Anna, a prophetess. She was married to someone for seven years, and then he died, and as a widow for 80-odd years, it says of her, and she never left the temple, fasting and praying. And I thought, where have I heard that expression before? Joshua. Joshua, the acolyte of Moses. Moses went into the tent of meeting, met with God, face shone. He went out and did his business as the leader of the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. But Joshua, we read, never left the tent of meeting. His focus was on God. Anna never left the temple. Her focus was on God. I don't know if Anna did anything else in her life. Doesn't matter. 
Her focus was on God. And so here is the appeal, if you like. We all have benefited from the work of Jesus. We all have the Holy Spirit within us. We all can focus on the prayer and relationship that availeth much. In our hearts is a tent of meeting. In our souls is a temple. And it is up to us every day to say, shall I leave the temple today? Shall I go and make my own way? Shall I make my own choices? Or am I going to present my body a living sacrifice today? There's the challenge. Today, when you hear his voice, will you listen and obey? Or will you leave the tent of meeting? Walk out of the temple? Don't do it. I'll tell you for why. Just at the moment, our congregation, as always, our diocese, as always, needs prayer warriors. We have the Ministry of Reconciliation, but we need the power of prayer. Let us individually promise to God not to leave the tent of meeting, not to leave the temple, but to pray for his work of reconciliation, that his love would be seen and his kingdom established. Amen.